Welcome to the Modern Connection Podcast, where we seek out the core mindsets and practices that undergird human connectedness in our rapidly changing world. I'm your host, Steve Dean, and today's guest is someone I met over a decade ago, and I'm delighted to still know her today. Ann Coleman is a Philadelphia-based educator and developmental psychology researcher who spent seven years teaching high school English and theater before she transitioned into research. Her work examines the development of theory of mind, also known as perspective-taking, in adults, with the hope of better understanding how teachers use informal psychology in the classroom. In this episode, Anne and I discuss her response to a question I recently posed to my friends asking about their biggest struggles in dating, online or offline. Anne's comment was among the most upvoted, and it's one I've spent literally years trying to discover for myself. So without further ado... Here's Ann Coleman and the burning question. For this particular episode, um, I want to see how we can go about addressing the question that you, or I guess the um, the dating struggle that you brought up. And I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I have it written down. I'm gonna pull it up and read mm-hmm. it. So, like, I had posted on Facebook, "What's your top dating struggle?" And your comment was. Meeting someone who is committed to doing their own work, who is highly self-aware, so we can actively engage in self-discovery and personal growth together. It's hard to find other people who are within my zone of proximal development for relationships themselves. So I really like the way you phrase that because I've been constantly trying, like, I mean, I'm a dating consultant, so I, I have to go on a lot of dates. I have to talk to a lot of people about their dates. And... One of the things that is oftentimes like a clear struggle is like, who's on my level? Who is it that like has been like, who is not like at the beginning of their dating experience or it's like their first time ever talking to a woman? Like, how do you actually, (laughs) how do you find people who are um, somewhere like in your ballpark in terms of your your growth trajectory? And you have to watch out for what's it like the Dunning-Kruger effect where you like, people are people who are less intelligent are predisposed to believe that they're way more intelligent because they don't actually know how much is out there that they don't know. Um, and so I I always, I worry that sometimes when I'm like, okay, I've been doing consulting and dating for seven years, but like, I don't necessarily ever want to consider myself an expert because as soon as I then talk to like, every time I talk to someone else who has like a PhD in something or like, there's so many little tiny, like micro niches where people are just like vastly more intelligent, experienced. And so I'm curious to hear your perspective, like just going into that question, um, whether it be like drawing from past experiences, whatever you want to share that helps like create the world around that question, looking for people who are like in the same developmental trajectory as you or like, however you'd like to describe it. I can start in kind of one of two places, either in terms of how I came to understand that was the challenge, or in terms of where I would identify right now in my own relationship development and why, or or even just how I've gone about trying to find people in that place because it may or may not be working. Um, Let's do the... um where you are right now and then we'll go into how you got here and then we'll go into where you're going from there so like let's describe like what what do you how do you identify your current stage (laughs) okay um so i have learned a huge about amount about myself since college and i think a lot of my expectations as a 20 something were that i would figure out so much so early and that I sort of would be a fully formed human, at least as soon as I graduated college, if not within a year of college, you know, I I had high expectations of of being who I was going to be. And one of the ways that I have learned the most about myself is through relationships. So I am somebody who has had more recently just long-term relationships relationships that are at least nine months usually we're talking a year and on in terms of duration um the most recent relationship that i got out of was actually with somebody that i knew from college uh we're still really good friends we play quizzo every week Um, and it's a relationship that after knowing each other for 10 years turned into dating and was wonderful um but definitely one of these sort of long-term 
things where we went into it even knowing that because we had this established friendship and so on um, that we were going to make a really strong try of it no matter what um and it was wonderful um and my past few relationships prior to that were all longer term relationships where a lot of what we did was grow together learn about relationships together practice and develop healthier communication um and we each individually were people who at the moment we entered into the relationship had gone through a lot of personal development and thought that we were sort of like in at a new threshold or or mm-hmm. on some new level and being in the relationship allowed us to then accelerate and sort of move past a plateau in terms of our emotional social and and self-knowledge development mm-hmm. um it sounds all very unromantic <laughs> but but for me i think i i, I love in relationships when you can be completely open about what's going on with you and to me that is in itself always an opportunity to find out new things about yourself if you're able to be completely yourself then then you are through the lens of somebody else going to come to know yourself better and to know them better and growing together strengthens the relationship in turn so early and certainly through college relationships and early post college I did not have this perspective <laughs> and I went into relationships for the intimacy for the romantic connection um for the socialization in some cases I was teaching at a boarding school out in the suburbs and dating was a way to interact with people who were not my students or my colleagues and oh, to man. just be in the world and feel like I had a life mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and so it was a process of better coming to understand myself and my needs, um, understanding through other contexts, personally and professionally, I came to um, start actually seeing a therapist. I had ADHD that went undiagnosed all through my education. Mm-hmm. And so three, four years out of college, I started seeing a therapist to say, like, what the heck is going on with me? Why why isn't the world fitting together the way that I thought it would? Um, and through the process of regular talk therapy with a phenomenal social worker, I came to start to learn other things as well about myself. And that catalyzed a process of really trying to prioritize my own learning in all of my interactions, in my friendships, with my family, and with romantic partners, because I can be my best self, I can be my best partner to others when I am trying to better understand what it is that I do habitually and unconsciously, as well as what those things are that I care most deeply about and kind of want to focus on. Do you think that there are moments or maybe stages in a relationship where the relationship itself becomes more important than the individuals in it. Like, this is something that I've been trying to work my way through where, like, if you're, let's say when you're dating someone, it's really easy. Let's say you're dating a couple people at once. You know, you're, you don't know who you want to start a relationship with. It's easier to be honest with them about, like, well, you know, like, I'm kind of looking for this kind of a thing or these are, like, my preferences actually point me more in this direction Um, or you can just like tone down who you're seeing based on, you know, whether or not you want to spend more time with someone who exhibits those traits or has those characteristics, you know, things like that. But once you're in the relationship, it's a little bit harder to be able to say, like, in, in total honesty, I'm actually not that attracted to you at the moment and this might change, but I can't speak. Like, I feel like there's certain things that are harder to like to speak your truth when you have a relationship that has like some degree of structure or a lot of um, maybe some sort of intensity around it where you've already chosen one another, like you're committed in some way. Like, do you, I don't know whether this is like, there's an elevated stage of relationship awareness, (laughs) self-awareness, communication, where you can be able to be honest, fully honest about things that may actually be like a death knell for that relationship. And maybe it's a hallmark of powerful relationships or anti-fragile relationships that you can always be able to say things where it's like, hey, this component of the relationship appears to be broken. I don't know if we have a, like a spare part we can toss in to fix it. 
I want to give it a good faith effort, but I just want you to know because you're my you know my co-founder in this relationship. If there's a critical vulnerability, we should probably be able to discuss it as individuals who are building this thing together. But like I don't know, what are what are your thoughts there? <laughs> it's a great question in part because the end point of both of my past relationships, most recent past relationships, were me doing that and the other person (laughs) engaging in their process and then saying, I I don't think I can do that work Mm -hmm. or I'm not in a place to do that work. So there's a part of me that is clearly inclined to think that for for my own sake and for the strength of the kind of relationship I want to have and that I know is good for me and good for my partner, that yes, there should always be to some extent, and obviously delicacy matters <laughs> and kindness and love and care, but to some extent, you should always be ready and willing to do the work of leaning into the hard stuff, mm-hmm. leaning into the stuff that kind of sucks because it's true. And you just like, if you ignore it, it's not going to go away and it is what it is. Um, and, and then there's another side of me that says, well, if you had asked me a week after either of those relationships ended, what I would have said is, no, don't do it. <laughs> um, don't reveal. But, is that what you would have said? I mean, I think I think my initial response, and it certainly has changed now, so I'll give you both. But my immediate response in the aftermath of both of those would have been a combination of wondering if I had asked too much of my partner by sharing an unformed or not yet fully formed concern, and putting it to the relationship as opposed to keeping it where I could do the work on it until I don't know what the point would have been but until some magical point when it would have been clear that it was more workable or more um, straightforward to engage with my my current thinking as opposed to the immediate post-relationship thought is to say that I'm really glad no matter how hard it was I'm really glad that with each of those two most recent relationships I did start the conversation because one of the things it lifted up was that we had different notions of how to work in a relationship Mm -hmm. and different ways of handling our own role. Um, that, That what I was going into it with and what we had communicated about in terms of our expectations and ways of being together were not as closely cleaved together as as I had thought they were. And in both cases, when I lifted up the things that were going on and and the questions and thoughts that were running through my own head, I was conscious of the fact that it was high risk. Mm -hmm. And I was making the choice to take that risk because it felt worth it. Mm -hmm. And so it took a little time after each of those relationships ended to be able to come back and say, no, my reasoning was sound and it was a vote of confidence in the person and the relationship to be that honest. And it's why I'm still friends with both of them. Mm-hmm. It's why I'm still able to be um, really grateful for the relationships and really connected to those people because I never shortchanged them. I never underestimated what they were capable of. And and I think they both were, were good to me in, in being honest about what they can handle in the moment. Yeah. And in, in when they weren't ready to do that work, being honest about it and not trying to mm-hmm. force themselves to get there. Um, and I'm not going to say it doesn't suck. Like, these are both people I, I love with all my heart. But mm-hmm. I love them as friends now. And they were good friends and lovers to me by owning that they weren't going to do the work that, that yeah. I was talking about. Oh, this makes me think of so many, like, really intense questions, and I want to go into some of them. Because <laughs> um, you brought up the topic of, like, whether you should process on your own first versus, like, letting the relationship serve as its own sounding board, letting your partner know, like, in real time what's going through your mind so that they have the most, like, raw, unfiltered understanding of how you feel. So it's not just being clouded by how you structure it to appease their feelings or what you perceive to be their likely feelings. They just get the raw feed. And I think that's an important distinction that partners should know, whether you prefer to get the raw feed or whether you prefer to get the fully formed thought. Because 
even like I, I used to run a startup where with my co-founder we had different specializations in that startup so like he was handling like business and finance I was handling more like the marketing and customer engagement side and so I would have like I'd, I'd start off on a day like doing this one thing on marketing and then I'd quickly realize like oh crap the thing I committed to doing like doesn't make any sense and I, I should probably tell him right away that like it's some, something went wrong or something's not doing what we expected it to but then I was like wait should I tell him now it's like an hour into the day or should I like do the rest of the work make sure that it's like I can present this in a cohesive way that he'll understand as opposed to just saying oh it's one thing like when a jar I don't know what's going on and so in those cases, he actually stated his preference. He said, like, finish the work, do the thing you were going to say. Like, even if, like, you waste a day, I'd rather you have done the full thing and processed it and understood it and presented it to me and the rest of the team in a way that, like, we all can work with and, like, grapple with rather than just giving us fragmented thoughts that we actually, it's nothing we can actually do anything about in the moment until we've understood, like, why these thoughts are happening or what it actually is pointing to what it means what you've intuited it to mean because this is your specialty like you're the one presenting this so in relationships i think a similar principle applies like knowing whether your partner actually wants to receive the like ah, i'm feeling the following 50 things and i don't know what any of it means and if i wanted to trace each individual one i could but it goes into weird places um or if you want to wait until you can like maybe bounce it off outside forces other people your mentors your guides your you know podcasts you might listen to like wherever it is that you go to help consolidate and make sense of what's going on your shaman i have no idea whatever you have before you go to your partner and i think that's a, that's an important distinction because for me i need partners who are able to do it in real time i love getting the full readout of like i'm feeling these things and i'll i'll go, i'll be with them and like trace each one because like for me i'm never afraid of new information i treat it as like oh cool let's have fun categorizing it together and let's understand more of what we can do with it but i've definitely been with partners who are like no nope, i need to go off that way like i'm an introvert i do this thing on my own this is my world my like little processing zone i'll come back to you when i have the full report <laughs> Absolutely. And I think one of the other pieces that ties back to sort of the development question is whether or not your, part, not your partner knows what they need in, in that kind of situation. Because when we're talking about development in relationships, if a person hasn't had that kind of either professional or personal experience that you're talking about, they may not have come to an articulation of how they process. And you absolutely should should engage in those conversations you should say this is how i process this is how i'd like to process with you can we try it does that make sense is that something you'd be willing to engage in and then have the the reciprocal conversation afterwards to hear like how was that is that okay um but i would say that one of the reasons why this development question comes up for me is because i've had relationships where what the person identified as the ways that they wanted to approach our communication either changed for them and they weren't able to articulate or identify that that change was occurring or that they kind of set a really high bar for themselves and it wasn't necessarily realistic and as a partner I'm, I'm not here to play psychologist like I, I want to take people at their word and not over or underestimate a partner I want to be um, respectful of what they identify mm -hmm. as their place and sometimes that has gotten me into trouble because it's turned out that their place wasn't actually what it was and they figured it out too late or yeah. we both figured it out too late do you think that there's any sort of like linear trajectory of relationship knowledge or self-knowledge or is it kind of a because like when i when i was thinking about your question i was there's a couple different categories that came to my mind of like how do we even identify what it means to be in a zone of proximal development with us or to us so like one one example for me is like if i'm i'm actively polyamorous and if i'm dating someone who's either like very new to it or still like mostly monogamous and they don't know where they stand it makes for an interesting scenario where like a lot of poly people are just like i will not date monogamous people because i don't want to play coach and mentor and cheerleader for the next like three years until they get to the point where they know what the hell's up where they know how to understand jealousy and they've recoded it to like mean something that is necessarily different from what most monogamous people code jealousy to mean 
like where their priors are now up to date with what mine are you know all of those things and that's just in the realm of like polyamory non-monogamy versus monogamy um there's also like the types of people who believe that relationships must obey milestones where like you start off as you are dating and then there's a point when you must now have a dtr define the relationship talk and then the next set of milestones are like you do like the move in together or you um propose you get married you do kids like each of those you buy property together they're all fixed milestones and some people believe that like relationships in order for them to understand that this is serious even like the first step is i i I love you if they don't hear that then they're like oh it looks like this isn't a real relationship yet you know, like some people believe that. And so for me, I would look at that as like a type, a category of like relationship style that some people abide by, that others are like, I would never want any of those things. I don't believe that a milestone is what defines a relationship. Sometimes it's a function of time. Sometimes it's a function of how much depth you go to together, how much you can trust someone to understand who you are. And like, you don't need a ring on your finger to have total trust in someone. And so I look at that as like, those someone who comes from each of those relationship camps may consider each other to be in very different um like proximal development stages so i'm curious if you like i mentioned earlier like do you is there a linear thing that you would trace or do you think it's more of a like i I just want to better understand when you're saying that that you're looking for someone how do you like what are the signifiers that indicate that someone's on your level or in the same you know sphere of relationship understanding it's a great question. And, and to the illustrating examples, I would say, um, I, I certainly see the same things and I can look at, I'll, I'll share a specific personal example my parents. I think that they, um, having been 40, married 40 something years and just separated now, um, they are both very, very early if they were to be on the linear trajectory of development that somebody would construct from my personal history, right? If you were to trace back from where I am right now and say that it was a linear development that got me here, and I'm not so sure it is. <laughs> but if you were to trace it back, the place where each of them is now starting to be single for the first time since they were sophomores in college, I would say that I am further along, not just because we're using my development as a trajectory, but also because a lot of the things that I've come to learn about myself are not things that they prioritize learning about during their relationship. Mm-hmm. To the question of sort of what the hallmarks are, I don't believe any development is linear, and this is coming as somebody who studies development <laughs> psychology. Um, this, this is what I research. Um, there are a huge number of theories of development, and the term zone of proximal development is one that's used chiefly to talk about how children grow, why a younger child with a sibling will show certain types of accelerated growth. By being with a more advanced elder, they can themselves achieve more than they could do on their own. And then the reason why for me in relationships that term really appeals is in part because It's not about elder or life experience or types of relationships that I think creates proximal development uh, in in romantic relationships or or even in in platonic and friend relationships or work relationships. I think that the things that actually move us forward in, in any kind of developmental trajectory are most often just differences rather than a hierarchical progression, right? It is that encountering of different ways of being, understanding, communicating, living, and knowing that causes us to try new ways of each and every one of those things. And so I tend to think of it a little bit more as a a bunch of concentric circles um, where the individual is encountering, and, and there's actually a development model that I'm realizing I'm citing right now, and I didn't <laughs> think I was citing, but Bronfenbrenner's ecological model puts the individual at the center, and the things that they directly interact with are the next concentric circle. Beyond that, the next circle is who those individuals interact with. So if we're talking about a child, we would say the child's interactions with the parents, teachers, peers is the first level. And then the parents' interactions at work with colleagues would be the next level out, sort of the indirect influences. And then we move out to society and institutions and so on. And I actually think relationship growth 
in my mind, is very much about within our small ecosystem, each intimate relationship that we have is going to have ways of stretching and expanding out based on the other lives and interactions and immediate um, relationship building of those people. So I think it sort of just um, balloons out or, or splatters out, depending on how you how organized you think it is. Do you think that depends in part on how advanced the people around you are? Like, will you have a stronger relationship with any partner by virtue of being surrounded by people who are all like relationship nerds who are geeking out on doing the best like possible relationship growth trajectory? I think that it is often easier to engage in deliberate relationship growth and personal growth in relationship when the networks and community and previous relationships of a person have introduced them to that. When when they have some construct established already for, for what that means or what it might look like or one way of being doing that work. And I would say just so somebody who has either very limited interest or experience or exposure to relationships that look at the relationship itself as a growing, living, breathing thing that needs care will in turn be lower further back on that development spectrum. Their their blob will be smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I think about my own growth, I'm, I'm looking to be in relationships with people who have a similar level of exposure to doing that kind of work or more, who, yeah. who can be my, my catalyst to continue forward and, and partner with me and I can partner with them and hopefully we can help each other yeah. um, with different areas of, I guess, expertise. I, I use that word <laughs> hesitantly, but with, with different areas where we can and grow each other yeah i mean this this brings me to another fun question because i um i was frequently when i started out with like living in the polyamorous world within new york city um i quickly realized you know there's a lot of people who when they go monogamous will drop off the grid it just becomes them and their partner they stop hanging out with their friends they stop being social they just build their own little world together like something out of um what was that movie where they go into each other's dreams and being John Malkovich? No, no that's in his head. Going into each other's dreams. Uh, Inception. Oh. <laughs> where you just keep going, like you just build these worlds in the little dreamscape. Like that's almost what I imagine a lot of very intense relationships to be like, where you just kind of like nothing else matters. You're just doing this little thing, learning about each other, exploring each other's worlds, learning your lexicon together as a unit establishing like a we concept so you're no longer like two individuals you're just like this thing and what i found to be a stark difference in the polyamorous world is that you're at no point separating yourself like it's actually unhealthy to separate yourself in the poly world from other people in their relationships because in many cases like my partner's partners are people that i'm friends with or that i'm also dating And so we end up being surrounded by like dozens, if not hundreds of overlapping, interlocking relationships, and they're all striving to be the best they can. And so you end up just constantly, it's almost like college for relationships. You're surrounded by all these other peers who are trying to like do the best they can, share their best tips. It's new to a lot of people because polyamory is still not like a mainstream thing. So everyone's like nerding out about it together, sharing articles. We made a group with like hundreds of people. So like... I could argue that maybe doing things in a non-monogamous way in a tight-knit community who's all trying together would follow the developmental model really strongly that you're, you know, that you're suggesting. So I'm curious, is there a, well, A, is there a, like, monogamous uh, corollary to, like, building your relationship in the context of lots of others who are also trying to do the same? Um... And also, is am I missing anything in terms of, like, whether poly people are just doing something really well? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a great question. It's funny. As, as you're saying it, the first thought that came to mind, actually, was when you look at the 
um, sort of historical statistics of how planned and arranged marriages worked. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that is very true, if you sort of look just on a, on a numbers level at arranged marriages, is that it, sort of the larger the family network, the more people who were involved in creating the match, the sort of more enduring the relationship will be. Um, and so that's a very, to many minds, antiquated um, relationship structure. But if we, if we take sort of polyamory as a very new way of framing and understanding a specific orientation and, and way of being and loving and, and relating and, and take it and sort of say, okay, this, this for most people will either be new or innovative or more than they can handle. And then, and then we take arranged marriage as sort of like this historical, often seen as outdated thing. They, they have the same wisdom, which is that your engagement with your community is critical to supporting yourself and your relationship, no matter what. And I, I as a cis, straight, monogamous woman am often in the position of looking at other couples and saying, what the hell are you doing? Why, why have you cut off everybody? You will fail, right? This is not going to work for your relationship because you don't have people to go to when things are tough or when the way that you're trying to communicate to something to your partner isn't working and you need new strategies or somebody to hear what you're saying and tell you if it makes any sense. Um, so, you know, I, I absolutely see what you're talking about. And my response broadly would be to say, yeah, the polyamorous community is doing way better mm -hmm. um, because understanding relationships as networked is critical in, in my personal experience to their success. Mm -hmm. And that is true for monogamous, very like vanilla white bread, everything you want to call them, cis hetero relationships. Um, because when I have these long friendships, these enduring friendships with people that I've broken up with, it's because the relationship itself and all of the things that we went through and the community that we were a part of are still there, right? That the relationships have enduring power and enduring meaning for both of us because they are a part of our whole world, not an isolated and restricted experience. And, and I, in turn, would say my development as a person, not just as a lover and member of relationship and so on my, my development as a person as an educator as a professional is fed by those relationships which i engage in with ongoing connectedness to my community and it may look very different from relationship to relationship and i suspect although i cannot say for sure i suspect that if you were to try to map it on paper it would look rather different from from the polyamory structure that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. the, the fact of the matter is that when I have had relationships that were rather isolated, the, the ways in which they fed me were more limited too. The ways in which they impacted my day-to-day -day life and happiness, my growth, my everything else, my world, um, were themselves more restricted mm -hmm. by I mean, I think I don't only want to draw a comparison against like polyamory versus monogamy because, I, I mean, having worked in the startup world, I can't help but make a lot of very powerful references back to that. So like for people who don't want to just compare the merits of monogamy versus polyamory, think of it maybe in terms of like when you're looking for your partner or when you find a partner, you're building a thing together. And I, when I frame relationships as startups, it unlocks a number of different mental models that can be really helpful for people. So like you don't build a startup in a vacuum. You don't like go isolate yourselves and never show your face. Like you want to be in the startup community. You want to be surrounded by people building other startups to learn from their mistakes. You'll listen to the podcast and watch the videos from entrepreneurs who've either succeeded or failed. And an important distinction is like when you 
see like you have a, let's say you have a co-founder and your startup fails you don't just hate the person like they're not neither of you is bad for having failed the startup sometimes startups just fail 90 was it 90 plus 95 percent of startups will fail and it's just like relationships most relationships will fail at some point and it's not to say that it was a bad relationship or that the people in it were bad and you don't you can have like like we, we fear exes in a way that is so strange compared to how like you don't fear former co-founders if anything like they go on to build another startup, you congratulate them. It's like, oh, that's really cool. Or sometimes like the startup you built at this point in time targeting this market didn't work. But that doesn't mean you can't get together a couple years later and try again and build a different startup because maybe you are a good team, just not in that environment, not with that market. And so people that you may have like dated in college and then you broke up after college, but then like 10 years later, you're like, you know what? You know, let's give this another shot. And I think that when we apply that kind of a comparison, like the startup overlay, it makes it a lot, it gives us a lot of fun wiggle room for exploring ways in which relationships can exist in communities. And it's not this like, oh, it has to be a non-monogamous community where there's all these people trying to sleep with my partner. It's instead just like, no, we're, you can surround yourself in the context of a monogamous relationship with other people who are in their own kinds of relationships, other single people, people who are dating and learning from all of their different inputs about like what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, sharing what you're working on. But if you, as long as you keep treating the relationship like a startup, like something where you're both trying to grow together, you're trying to build something from scratch that never existed, that maybe people said shouldn't exist. And you're like, well, screw the haters. Like we're going to, we're going to make this work. But I think that's another thing you can start to learn. I think people in abusive relationships would benefit a lot from this kind of a comparison. Like if your startup exists in a total vacuum and your co-founder says you're not allowed to talk to anyone about it, it's probably not a healthy startup. <laughs> like, if you can't put your relationship out there and be like, yo, this is what I stand for, this is, I mean, granted, if you're in, like, a very kinky, like, BDSM-style relationship, then maybe you don't want to share it with the world and let everyone know what your kinks are. That's okay. And sometimes relationships are intentionally kept on the DL. But if you're in, I would say, like, a, let's say, not out, outside of the kink world... Um, if you're in what you would hope to be like a relationship that's going to last you a long time, a serious one, one that you can tell your friends and family about, then you want to make sure that, you know, you do that sanity check of like, am I in a healthy relationship? Can I talk about this with people? Do I have people to talk about? Do I feel uncomfortable sharing this relationship? Even though it's a, you know, whether vanilla or not, like if it's a relationship that in theory I should be comfortable sharing, but I'm not, what are my reasons here? What is like what's causing me to not be able to seek any of the disconfirming evidence about this current worldview um if i don't have allies in this then what do i have if if it's just me against the world or me and my partner against the world why is the world against this and like there, there's a lot of frames that are really helpful to have when it comes to assessing your own relationship which i think brings us to how the hell do we assess relationships because or even before that how do we assess people to see if they're going to be fit for a relationship with us because that was your original question it's like how do you find people who are on the same developmental trajectory um have you found i don't know if we should go into like search terms on a dating app if we should go into um ways that you describe your ideal relationship that would help signal to someone else who would be the right fit whether or not that's the kind of thing that they want I'm curious, like, what what have you found to be most effective for sourcing the kinds of people or the kinds of relationship styles that make sense for you? Well, my starting point is trying to convey, without being overly verbose, trying to convey in profiles and in communications my way of thinking. Because so much of the starting point of this is that I need to find somebody who's receptive to thinking out loud about relationships and about who you are and, and what's going on in your world. And so instead of a profile of mine leading with, I'm a teacher and I love education and books and here's all my favorite books, I try to start with what I bring to a relationship. What are the things that I give and and look to give as a part of being a partner to somebody. Um, and the reason why I've arrived at that approach is because both, I feel like that's a little bit attention getting, that it will signal just even as somebody reads it, this is a different way of approaching a dating profile. And, and my hope there in being attention getting, it's not like to cast a wide net, but rather that 
it's distinctive enough that rather than just ignoring the profile and looking at pictures or um, sort of checking the box and moving on to other things, that there'll at least be a moment where a person can say, is that what I would want from a partner? And what do I bring to a partner? Um, the latter question being a little bit less likely, unfortunately, that will just sort of automatically produce itself. But, but the hope is, if I say those things, if one of the things that I lead with is by saying, in a relationship, I try to be a partner who can both sort of reflect back the things that I hear from my partner and that their goals and hopes and, and dreams are, and also to seek from a partner, an authentic partner, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, lens for better understanding myself and the relationship. I mean, the, the wording, obviously, as a former English teacher, I would do a lot more work on that. <laughs> um, broadly, by trying to articulate those things and talking about what I value in relationships and what makes me most myself, um, I try to at least lead a little bit <laughs> with, with some of those processes. The other thing that I would say is that on a first date, when, when I get to that point of meeting people, I am probably a lot more ready to tell somebody that I've been in therapy than I think most people would think you would be. Um, there's a lot of stigma in society, but I don't remember the precursor thought, so we may have lost that, unfortunately. Okay. We, I mean, <laughs> the, the general thread was like, how do you signal in a profile or right. with other people, like okay. what kind of relationship you're looking for or um, what kind of zone of proximal development you are currently in so that people can better understand um, whether they're the right, whether they're in the same place as you, whether they should reach out being like, oh my God, we're in the same place. Like we're thinking about the same things. We have had similar shared experiences or the same priors. Like let, let, let's do this thing together. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I'll, I can start at the start of that answer. I, yeah. I think we only got cut off sort of halfway through, but um, the, the starting point for me is with my dating profiles. Um, I try to very authentically and clearly state what it is that I bring to a relationship. And I may or may not be particularly good at articulating that, um, but I do sort of try to lead with what I want to bring to the table as a partner as a way of also indicating what I'm hoping to find in a partner, that I want authenticity, but I I get more specific. I don't just say communication matters because I think that's a very generic and and meaningless statement in many ways. Everybody knows theoretically that communication and relationships matter. Um, But I talk about what it is to be be a, a mirror for a partner and have a partner also be a mirror to me of um who we are with one another and how we are sharing of ourselves and what types of honesty and vulnerability we're engaging in as well as partnering in terms of personal growth and goals in life um, what is it that we want and are we doing our best to actually seek it out both with each other and in our own separate lives personally and professionally so what does that look Um, like in like specifics on a profile because i feel like that's still the way you've described it like it makes sense but it still doesn't feel like that's something that anyone would disagree with and i feel like the good thing about profile (laughs) Um, specifics is it lets people be like that's not me goodbye and then you're like perfect i've i've narrowed the field down to the people who are most going to be like yes that's absolutely what i want well, I, you know, this may be one of the flaws with the approach. <laughs> I, I think one of the things that I sort of hope is at work is um, that I take a, a different voice in that than just sort of enumerating interests and passions. That I say, in a relationship, I am very focused on being my best self for me with the understanding that by being authentic and doing what I need to do to take care of myself, I am also caring for the relationship. That kind of statement, I think, 
particularly as an opener, <laughs> has the potential to alter people's perceptions a little bit. And I think if you are not somebody who views relationships that way, if you look at a relationship and expect everything individual to be subsumed under the, the umbrella that is the we that is constructed, you're definitely going to be repelled <laughs> by that as an opener. Do you um, think that that changes over time, though? Because, like, you can start... I, I, I've generally made the case that, like, I start almost all of my relationships as an independent agent. Like, if you were to draw, like, circles that may or may... Like, the me circle and the you circle, and then we start, like, pushing them together to see how much they're going to overlap, I almost always will make sure I start out with me being 100%, you being 100%, and the us that is the fusion at 0% to start out. And then we begin... As we as we escalate in the you know mutual awareness of who we are as we go on a couple of dates or as we communicate further um, it'll probably still remain separate for a while and then over time let's say like we've now been hanging out like four or five days a week every week for a year you know I'm at a point where I can assume I'll be seeing you a couple times a week so I'm not gonna go and make plans without first consulting with you and saying like hey you know like I might not be around next week so let's let's talk about like what your plan is and i feel like as soon as you're doing that as soon as you're not saying like a you're no longer in total control or at least you you have another you're beholden to someone else's preferences and priorities in lieu of just your own so like i can't just say to a friend of course i'll go with you next week i'll first have to check in with my partner and so it's no longer me 100 percent. it's you know me maybe like 75 percent and 25 percent of my self is kind of allocated toward checking in with my partner and finding out, hey, are they okay with this? Um, is this something that they're comfortable with? Uh, are they free? Like, did they have any other plans that would supersede what I had planned to do? And I feel like that's, I don't know that that's necessarily an unhealthy thing. So to say, like, I'm always going to be myself first, or I'm going to put my needs first. I don't know if that's a function of like, I'm currently single. And so that's what I'm obviously going to promise. Um, and I'm not going to, I think it's more of a, like over time, how much do you anticipate that changing? Because there's certainly partners where they just, if, if, I think it's partly what it means to have vulnerability or intimacy issues is when you never allow it to be anything other than hundred percent me. And so those are the partners who will just like one day leave without a backward glance. And it's like, wait, what? We, there, there was that guy, I saw an article. He, um, was engaged to someone he had been dating for like five or 10 years and then on a whim over Christmas break when she was visiting her family he just left the country took up a new job never messaged her about why he left she thought he died or got kidnapped she sent out search parties he like basically abdicated his whole identity to go live abroad and I mean the grand irony of that is that like I think it was like two years later he was applying for this job and he got it and it turned out that she was his boss <laughs> <laughs> or like it was either bother, like I think he was like directly reporting to her and he's just like oh because I think he posted to Reddit being like oh my god oh my god this is the worst thing that's ever happened like this person I ghosted on who was my fiance is now my like so in his like in those cases where people have maybe either intimacy issues or like that inability to give someone more than one percent of like what it means to be you like if, if you have this relationship and you've been in it for years but you're still 100 percent independent then like what are you as a like what is that relationship at that point have you or do you still not at all factor in your partner's preferences and needs or expectations mm -hmm. um so for, for your from your perspective is that something that can be or should be communicated in a profile what does it even look like because you say like i'm my own person first but i would say that that could be a function of time could be a function of like how much you choose to escalate with someone. Yeah, it's it's a great point and question. So I kind of ascribe to social role theory, which is that um, we each have many hats, right? We have many social roles, and in any given moment and in any given context, the roles that we're prioritizing, those that are most salient to our decision making and behavior, will alter. That doesn't mean that we have ceased to hold other social roles. It just has to do with the context or the needs as we identify them in a given moment and situation. So for me, my starting point is to say, as I look at the healthiest long-term relationships I've had, what has come to be the case is that my social role within the relationship 
has become an equal level priority and has neither exceeded under my prioritization of me as an individual and my partner as an individual. And I would say that one of the things that I think sort of has made for a very potentially different communication dynamic and one of the reasons why I am still friends with partners, and I think many people who are still friends with exes will be able to say a similar thing, is that in in the relationship and in our broader relation beyond the intimate relationship, there were three roles that each member of the relationship were holding as special. The, the role of being together and the role of each individual. And I see myself in relationships as not just responsible for, for my wholeness and wellness, but also as having a role in ensuring my partner's wholeness and wellness independent of me and the relationship. Um, and, and that those are that that it's three roles that are mm-hmm. juggled rather than two or one. Um, and so to the question of the profile and how you communicate that as well as over time, um, th- that is one of the things that I'm seeking to communicate. And it's not necessarily easy to put in writing or to help somebody understand who hasn't felt that themselves. I think it is not necessarily a good filter if it's an unfamiliar construct for people because somebody who gets it and is totally there will see the words on the page that that make sense for them and somebody who is not there may not perceive it as different Mm -hmm. from from how they relate so so to me that then becomes a, a next step of conversation a next step of interaction rather than something that i can just immediately filter for but on the plus side by putting it in a profile i have had the experience of having that conversation early Mm -hmm. having a first or second date be a place where somebody else who gets it can identify and share their ways of being in relationship and how they juggle their roles and even some relationship history. I know that's considered like a taboo in society to talk about exes and so on. But to me, that's actually a really powerful, positive way of coming to understand somebody as we play out what it will be to to relate and be sort of interacting with one another, being able to talk openly about how relationships worked and what did and didn't work. That's part of your knowledge base. And if somebody is unwilling to talk about their previous relationships, I, I personally take it as a huge red flag. Oh, yeah. um, I, I, I do. I, I don't think unwilling on the first or second date is a red flag because I think society obviously tries to train people out of these things. But if somebody can't honestly look at what did and didn't work in their previous relationships and shine that on themselves and, and say, this is where I wasn't ready or wasn't the right fit or whatever the thing was. If they can't do that, then that's another sign to me that they're not where I am in relationships because one of the places that I am, and obviously we said it's not necessarily a development trajectory, but one of the places where I am in this web of potential development trajectories is in a place where I really value the the use of introspection and hindsight and um, self-knowledge through past experience as a way to move forward and continue to find new connections and intimacy and and growth. You mentioned some things from like what you would put in your profile. Are there things you've read in other people's profiles that like scream out to you like this is my kind of person? Um, like I, I was thinking, like when I, when you were describing this, I was like, what if I added to my profile something like, if you're in a relationship with me, or even as you're starting to date me, expect the following topics of conversation to be completely fair game. So like, walk me through how you broke, how you chose to break up with your most recent partner. Walk me through what your self talk is like. Like, what is your inner voice? How does it talk to you? How does it guide you? Is it something you frequently ignore? What percentage of the time do you ignore your intuition in favor of other things? What do you choose to prioritize when you're weighing how to make your next decision? Is it based on your fidelity to a future self, the idea of this future self you want to see exist? Is it fidelity to your current emotional state and how you're feeling about this decision? And so 
that was one of the that was the one of the hardest things I had to learn when I got into polyamory was like you have a current emotional state in response to something that's happening. Let's say your partner's on their first date with someone you don't know in the context of like my partner, my relationship, but they're on a date with someone else. So like mono, like monogamy culture tells me to be, you know, insecure, very panicky, questioning everything. Like, why did I let this happen? Why is this okay? What are they going to do? Are they cheating on me already? What's going on? Like, you know, all of these like negative talk, ne- negative self-talk spirals. That's what the emotional core is saying. But when I'm thinking about what is the ideal future self? What is the version of myself that comes away from this experience with a growth mindset, having learned a lot? That's when I'm thinking, ooh, I wonder, like, what are is my partner going to live up to the expectations I have for them? Like, are they going to be as awesome to date with that other person as I found them to be? Can I check in with their partner that they're with right now and be like, yo, wasn't like, how awesome is this person that we're now both dating? With? So there's so many if I take myself away from the emotional response and instead go into more of the like theoretical or um, when I think more of like the, from the future stance looking back, that is a completely different way of encoding reality. And the way that I will then respond with my partner completely shifts because I'm now looking, I'm going to hold them accountable to like, okay, you went on this date with this other person that better have been an amazing date. And like, how do I make it even better than it currently is? How do I ensure that I hold your partner accountable to treating you in the way that I expect you to be treated as someone who I hold so much respect and love for? So like, it's no longer me feeling this clenching insecurity about what I'm losing. It's instead thinking like, how do we maximize gains all around? So that's something where it's a complete mindset shift. But it's one that's important for me in order to understand, like, who's the kind of person I want. I want someone who can not just obey their current emotional self, but can all, like, have fun having a com- an ongoing conversation with their future selves. So I don't know, like, it, would that section of a profile be, like, what, what do you look for in terms of, when you, when you read it, you're like, oh my god, that's my person. A lot of the things that you said, sort of as initial things that one might put in a relationship, uh, uh, sorry, in a profile, um, would absolutely be exciting things for me to find. All too often, um, profiles are generic. The things that people answer and say are to the prompt rather than to the relationship that they are looking for. Um, And they are very rarely... um, informative it just that there's very little beyond being able to say like oh i too love gabriel garcia marquez or whatever <laughs> it is um all too often there, there's not enough there to to begin a meaningful conversation and so when in a profile what i encounter is an effort at vulnerability um, and authenticity, specifically one that shows self-knowledge. And I think statements about, we will talk about this topic, or I will want to talk about this topic, are, are huge, right? That That's showing an understanding of, this is how I start to build a relationship. This is my process. And I am articulating it, conveying both that I have come to understand it and that I want you to understand it so it can work out. Um, Other statements in a profile that would really stand out would be if a person would share this particular type of growth or conversation is often hard for me, but it's something I'm working on, Mm -hmm. or this is something I want to be better at. And here's why I think I'm not there yet. Right. Those are, difficult statements to just put in writing and put out there in the world. And the act of doing that is showing that you're prioritizing growth, is Mm -hmm. showing that you are putting thought and energy into not just finding a person who you will be sexually attracted to or who you might enjoy talking to, but finding a person with whom you can be and Mm -hmm. exist and and eventually grow. It's making me think of like a section that could be titled like when you do say or, you know, like X, Y, or Z, I either think or feel or respond with X, Y, Z. So like if you say, I just cheated on you, I say, oh, cool. I wonder what you mean by that. 
and in what context and with whom and what your idea of cheating is compared to mine because we may I, it may not have been cheating if we encoded it differently like I go into this like I don't know if it's like a hyper rational thing or just like a I'm curious to make sure we're on the same page with our terms um, and then another example would be like when you start an argument with I can't believe you did X I respond with huh why is that? What is it about your expectations of my behavior that made you believe that that's something that wouldn't be expected from me? Yeah. And then I would also frame it as like, I like I wholeheartedly endorse my own behavior. I did that for the following reasons. Do you have an issue with any of those reasons or are you objectively opposed to that behavior? In which case, yeah. let's discuss that further. You know, like there, for me, like that's a normal thing that I do in relationships, but other people might consider that to be like either crazy or like way too intense or almost like in denial of reality because they're like, they said they cheated on you. You're supposed to react with anger and fear and insecurity. And I'm like, no, that's not a, you know, <laughs> I just want to make sure we're, before I emotionally go overboard, I want to understand like, are we actually talking about the thing that would justify those emotions? Yeah. So like, I don't know, that's, I'm actually, I kind of want to make that section now for my own profiles. Granted, most dating sites are awful at giving you enough space to talk about like things that are actually important for understanding who this person would be in a relationship, giving that like a couple different important data points of like this, these are different scenarios and how I might respond. Maybe that's its own dating app that it should be. Like it's called like the game of dating where you just showcase like all these different iterations of possible, like not game theory, but different like gamified conversations yeah, yeah play testing relationships well and i think that's what what we're both talking about here is again one of those hallmarks of relationship development which is somebody who is able to play through the possibilities has come to know themselves in in, in relationships they mm-hmm. have seen patterns and behaviors and taken the time or had some other impetus for codifying it, to, for turning it into a self-understanding, which they then understand is valuable and worth sharing and passing on to future partners. And that in itself is a thing that I sometimes have trouble finding, right? Yeah. People who have done that type of articulation and identification work, or even just done it enough so that they know their patterns and can share of them. It's almost like in the game of relationships, you know what it looks like. You're like, oh, this is the level we're in. Oh, this is a boss battle coming up. <laughs> like, You just showed up five hours later for something that I expected. We're about to enter what is essentially a fight, aka a boss battle. So like, are you prepared for that? Do you have like, do you do we have all of our resources and power ups needed at our disposal so we can go into this argument with, you know, like being our true selves and having the right mindset for like what's about to happen i don't know that that that, i'm excited about just the prospect of framing relationships that way or framing interpersonal discussions that way because it gives you um it almost lets you know like i've i've seen this game before or i've seen this level before any conversation like in any conversation you have and it doesn't maybe it doesn't get restricted just to the realm of dating it could be you know, in networking, in friendships, like you've, the bigger a library you have or a repertoire of like different conversational styles, different possible things that could have happened, different ways of responding, um, different emotional states that you're in when you encounter these scenarios, like all of that is wisdom. That is the set, that is like the essence of wisdom. It's knowing and being able to reference your reference library of like, the, I've seen this before. This is what we've done in the past, but we might be in a new scenario, so maybe we can p- pull in some other things. I don't know. That's, it's really fun to think about, and I think it's kind of liberating as a framework for better understanding how to move forward in relationships of any yes. sort. Um, also, we are now past the hour mark, so I want to be... I just want to... <laughs> yeah. Let's wrap things up a bit. Um, is there... And my computer has a terrible battery, so it will die soon. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, well, yeah, thank you so much. This, this was really fun. And I think I learned a lot just in terms of the, it sounds like you have different, um, I don't know whether it's like social psychology or traditional psychology, like think like different um, p- paradigms and reference planes that you're drawing from that are really fun. And that would be probably fun for the, the listeners to be able to investigate further. So a few, what were a few that you mentioned, just so we can recap, 
So Bronfenbrenner, um, that's a strange spelling, B-R-O-N-F-E-N-B-R-E-N-N-E-R, Bronfenbrenner. Um, His ecological systems theory Mm -hmm. is when I was talking about sort of those concentric circles of influence in life. Um, Another one that I mentioned is social role theory. Um, Any Wikipedia of that will find it for you. Another thing is that kind of informed me, Eric Erickson's um, uh, psychosocial theory, Mm -hmm. um, which builds off Freud but gets rid of all his odd sexist stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, So those are kind of three major schools of development theory that inform me. I don't know that I even realized until this conversation how much some of them do. (laughs) Um, But um, broadly, human development and developmental psychology have elucidated a lot of what I was experiencing in the world and they're definitely worth diving into cool I'll definitely I'll link those in the show notes for anyone listening because that'll be really fun to explore further later on and maybe I'll also showcase some examples in the show notes of like these ideal profile either things you can say or things you can look out for and you can (laughs) and you can send me some following up that I might be able to include in the show notes as well if you have any like written down that you've found really helpful Um, So thank you so much, Ann Coleman. Uh, This was super insightful, really fun. um, And I'd love to chat again, maybe on or off of the podcast. We'll see. (laughs) Thank Thank you you. so much. This was really fun. And it's always um, lovely to get somebody else's way of approaching and framing the things I'm going to walk away thinking about startup culture now. Oh, no. (laughs) The tech bro relationship. No, It's a wonderful analogy. It really is. Hopefully it'll never be called the tech relationship because that would (laughs) ruin it for everyone. (laughs) All right. Thank you again. And we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Take care. Bye-bye.